0: Welcome to the MarTech Podcast.
1: I'm your host, Benjamin Shapiro, and today we're going to discuss the phenomenal rise of chat GPT and artificial intelligence. Joining us is Ian S. Thomas, who is a bestselling creator and author of numerous books, including his most recent work, the I Wrote This For You, an experimental pioneering prose and photography project. Ian is also the creative director at Virtue, which is powered by Vice Media, and he's specifically focused on Web3, Metaverse, and all things related to marketing, the Coca-Cola brand. And today, Ian and I are going to chat about how ChatGPT is revolutionizing culture. All right, here's the first part of my conversation with Ian S. Thomas, the author of What Makes Us Human. Ian, welcome to the Martech Podcast.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: Excited to have you here, excited to chat a little bit about not only marketing, technology, but culture. You're a marketer, you're a published author, and you've done some really interesting things using artificial intelligence. Let's start off talking a little bit about your book, What Makes Us Human. Tell me about the process for writing What Makes Us Human
2: so about two years ago now i was working with an ai copywriting startup as a consultant i had at that point quite a successful career as a creative director with a background in copywriting and i was effectively teaching gpt3 the ai how to write a headline for an ad or even beyond that how to come up with an idea for an ad, for a TV script or whatever. I would show it these different examples, like here's an incredible BMW ad, here's an incredible Nike spot. Now you make one based off this information, creating these different patterns and templates. And during that process, I realized if I could use it to make ads, there was really not too much of a limit to what else I could use it to do. And this was, unfortunately, a little while after my mother passed away, and I was kind of lost and looking for spiritual answers, and my mother was a very spiritual woman. So, at some point late one night, I figured that I could effectively prompt GPT-3 with different spiritual texts. So... I took a passage from the Bible, something like love is patient, love is kind, love does not keep a record of wrongs. I took a passage from the Talmud. I took a passage from the poetry of Rumi. I took a passage from Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. And I created this set of text that I could feed to GPT-3. And then based off that model, I could ask questions of that model. And the AI's responses were profound and poetic and beautiful. So I realized what the process I'd just gone through kind of meant. And so I asked it one question and, question and then another question and then another question and then another question, ranging from how do I explain death to my children, to why do we suffer, to how do we overcome the challenges in our life, to what does success look like? All these kinds of really profound and challenging questions. And GBT3 came back with poignant, beautiful responses. And those responses and that entire conversation is collected in the book called What Makes Us Human.
1: we will start off by saying, I'm sorry to hear that your mother passed. Thank you, Ben. And it sounds like she had a profound impact on your life, which led to you creating something brilliant and beautiful. So hopefully her impact on you is shared amongst others. I'm curious to hear a little bit about the creative process. You work as a creative marketer, and you're using this rich technology to make this profound piece of artwork, culture, creative. How have you been able to, I guess it's the equivalent of garbage in, garbage out, or the opposite of that, you know, gold in, gold out. You fed a chat, artificial intelligence, a bunch of really profound words, and it spits out profound words. Tell me about your process, and do you think it's something that other people can replicate?
2: I think they can. I think it's very hard for me not to be dramatic about this because I think the technology is that impactful and that important in terms of the scale of it, specifically when it comes to to artificial intelligence. But I think that AI is going to become a fundamental part of our lives and part of our creative processes in ways that we can't really envision just yet. I think we're kind of getting an idea of it. And specifically over the last few months since ChatGPT has kind of entered the headlines in a really big way. We're starting to get a better picture of it. I feel like a lot of people are going through now what I went through two years ago, when I first like, got access to GPT-3, when I first kind of realized the implications of what it could do.
1: It's funny, going into 2023, and I, we're recording this on January 10th, and Ian, I probably approved your interview application a couple of days ago. Going into the beginning of this year, I said, well, what are the headlines that are going to be important for marketers? What are some of the topics that I want to cover more that I haven't been? I'm a little tired of talking about event marketing and the impact of COVID on marketing technology. And if one more person asks me how the economy dipping is going to affect marketers, my head might explode. But I do think this notion of artificial intelligence and the way that it's going to impact the content and creative and commerce of marketing, is fascinating. So you're the second time I've had this conversation today because the first two applications I approved were all around artificial intelligence and chat GPT. Give me a little history lesson here in terms of the evolution. You were working on GPT-3 and now there's chat GPT. What's the difference between those two things?
2: There isn't a lot, to be honest with you. Chat GPT is effectively a very accessible wrapper for GPT-3. So OpenAI got founded a few years ago by Elon Musk, a few other investors. It's now run by Sam Altman. The guy started Y Combinator in Silicon Valley.
1: I'm buddies with his brother. Oh, really? We live in the same
2: neighborhood. Yeah. That's important. But they've released numerous products over the years. Obviously, GPT-3 being one of the first ones that made quite a bit of a splash. Dali made incredible waves. And then ChatGPT has obviously just dominated the new cycle over the last few weeks. GPT-3 is a little bit more basic. It's a little, I suppose an equivalent would be like, it's the difference between if you can remember DOS and Windows. GPT-3 is closer to DOS. You have to show it a bunch of prompts. You have to show it a bunch of patterns. In theory, I could go to ChatGPT today and go write me some spiritual advice in the tone of Rumi or give me some spiritual advice combining insights from all these different spiritual texts. And it would might be able to do something similar to what I managed to accomplish with GPT-3 back in the day. But to what I was saying earlier on about the drama of the moment that we're in, to my mind, if I look at AI and, and this technology and keep in mind, I've been thinking about this for two years and I've been working with this for about two years now. I think that the scale of it will make the internet look like a footnote. In human history in terms of how impactful this is going to be. I think the moment of disruption we're in is probably closer to the invention of the printing press than it is to the rise of the first web or social media in terms of how much it's going to fundamentally change things.
1: So like, I think of the utility of conversational intelligence and artificial intelligence of, okay, I'm not going to have to do sales calls anymore. Somebody's going to come and they're going to learn about the MarTech podcast sponsorship program because I can feed it all of the information and just talk into the microphone about what it is, feed that into artificial intelligence, and other people will talk to the Ben bot instead of talking to me. Maybe I won't even have to record the podcasts. Some artificial intelligence can just ask the questions I was going to ask, and I can edit them down. I think of the practical business implications and how it replaces manual labor, essentially. What are some of the other ways it's useful?
2: I think they're hard to predict because I think we're seeing them arrive one after the other. I did another project before I did What Makes This Human. I did an art project called Fragments of Sappho, where I worked with the collected literature of this poet who lived 2000 years ago called Sappho. She's still considered one of the greatest poets of all time, despite the fact that only fragments of her work survive. Literally one or two or three sentences. That's it. Everything else is lost. There's two complete poems, and otherwise everything else is just these fragments, but they're beautiful. They're really, really beautiful sentences. And what I worked out is that I could take the two complete poems, show them to GPT-3, and then feed the fragments in one by one, and GPT-3 would write the rest of the poems based off the two complete poems. So I was reconstructing poetry from 2000 years ago using this technology. And the reason I tell that story is that I think AI is like the arrival of electricity or steam power. You can kind of go, oh, of course, it's gonna create steam engines. But there's so much more that it creates as well that I think we haven't even really scratched the surface of yet. My big worry, seeing the way that culture and society has reacted over the last week, is it reminds me of that story of when people saw the first film, which was a train pulling into a station and people lost their minds. And I think that the reaction we're having right now is similar to that, specifically with people going, oh, it's going to replace this and oh, it's going to replace that. I think it probably will replace a lot of things, but I think what everyone's ignoring is the new things that it's going to create.
1: A special thanks to our presenting sponsor, Mutinex, ready to take your team from I think to I know. I think there's a technology conversation broadly to be had. People were freaked out about the invention of the light bulb because it was going to replace the jobs of everybody that was supposed to go around and light all the torches. I don't think the labor statistics show that everybody was out of a job because the light bulb was invented. We were worried about the telephone. We keep seeing these evolutions in technology that tend to be additive. And there is a period of time where for small segments of people, it is devastating. Look at how much the coal industry is fighting against electric power, because in small towns in West Virginia that are coal mining towns, all of those people are going to be out of a job because the entire economy is centered around that one industry and the evolution of technology has a detrimental impact on that very specific subsegment. But broadly, the technology is a benefit for society.
2: It's tricky. I think we do ourselves a disservice to ignore that. And I think like one of the things that I've noticed, specifically within the creative community is this kind of massive polarization around this technology. There's a group of people who have created fundraisers to hire lawyers to defend human art. And it's very much like a thing that happened 100 years ago when they brought in canned music for the cinema, where there used to be a paid organist who would sit and play the organ next to the silent movie. And there were protests about that. And you can't ignore that, but you also can't go, well, we're just not going to do this.
1: Because I am primarily controlled by my lizard brain, whenever I have an artificial intelligence related conversation, I feel obligated to bring up the Terminator movies and talk about Skynet and talk about the fear of evil. And it's an example of when the technology grows to a point where it not only is as intelligent as humans, but also could defend itself. That's the notion of Terminator and Skynet and the technology takes over and comes back and tries to kill us. And it's a great topic for a movie, and I don't think that that's realistic. But I do think that there are real fears about being replaced by technology. As we start to think about the evolution of culture at the beginning of what I would call the third wave of artificial intelligence, right? Not the if this, then that chess playing stuff in the 70s not the data consumption, basically a big calculator of the last decade Google has sort of harvested. We can analyze
2: algorithmically driven AI.
1: Exactly. But actually learning computers and doing things that humans have done to this point. How much do you think it's going to impact culture immediately? How much do people get it? And then what do you think is the long-term repercussions?
2: I'm often reminded of those scenes in a movie where someone gets shot and for a good few seconds they don't know that they've been shot. And then they look down and then they're like, oh, I've been shot.
1: That sounds terrible.
2: (laughs) Which sounds terrible. (laughs) I struggle to really quantify the degree of change and the speed at which that change I think is going to happen. I remember a few years ago, I went to go and give the commencement speech at my old ad college, and I said, you guys are so lucky. You're so lucky because you're going to have the last jobs that can't really be automated. Let me unpack that for a second. A lot of people are worried that we're going to replace illustrators and designers and writers and all of these different things that make culture important. I think if you're really bad at one of those things, that there's a very good chance that a lot of aspects of what you do will be replaced. But what I think people are missing is that AI has the potential to almost become a new form of media. It's going to give us entirely new ways to interact with books, like that poetry example I gave you a minute ago. You could read Treasure Island and go, you know what, I'd like to have a conversation with Robin St. Crusoe. You could look at a film and go, I would like to see an individualized version of this film. You could listen to exercise music and have exercise music custom made to what you're busy doing. So when I say people are worried about the wrong thing, the danger with that is that they're not excited about the right things. That's where I see things going. I think that we've had a few decades of growth and that growth has obviously stagnated to a degree. And we're in this moment of incredible turmoil. There's all the tech layoffs and everything else happening within that space. I think that there is potentially an era of growth on the horizon again. And a lot of that is gonna be driven by artificial intelligence in terms of people finding new ways to connect, new ways to experience things, you need to highlight the fact that this is obviously going to have a profound impact on the way people work. The amount of jobs that there are is a very serious part of that conversation, the way people work, what they do. If you have a conversation about AI, you have to have a conversation around things like universal basic income, which has obviously been relatively pie in the sky for a long time but the closer society gets to a space where we have to ask ourselves what does work mean and how do we benefit everyone how do we make sure people have purpose how do we take care of each other then that conversation becomes more and more important
1: I want to put a pin in that because I think that's really going to be our focus for conversation tomorrow so let me ask you one more question today how up to date are you on Apple's development have you heard about the new headset that's coming out yeah Rumor has it, not reporting this, the name for Apple's virtual reality headset is going to be the reality headset. Sure, I think that's damaging. I think that's a problem. And where you said, well, I want to have a conversation with Hunter S. Thompson or somebody no longer with us. I want to go talk to Grandpa Bill. That's not actually reality. It's not Grandpa Bill that's having that conversation. It's not Hunter S. Thompson. So here's the concern that I have, and I I want your take on what it means for culture, is, well, okay, there's all these interactive experiences where I can have a conversation with X, Y, and Z, but you're not having a conversation with that person. You're having a conversation with a machine that has ingested data that it has found and interpreted based on that person's prior works. How do we understand the impact of culture and make sure that we have some sort of boundaries of what is reality and what is artificial reality?
2: You should keep in mind that a few hundred years ago, a painter sat down and painted a woman sitting in front of a balcony in Italy, and he called that painting the Mona Lisa. And if you look at that painting, you're not actually looking at the actual woman. You're looking at a representation of that woman. That's not what you're getting at. You're getting at, like, as the fidelity of this experience increases, how do we understand the boundaries of what is and is not part of the world? I don't know. It's a good conversation to have. It's a good thing to think about. My personal vision of what things like the Apple headset, obviously Microsoft is playing in that space with the HoloLens. HTC has their HTC Vive, which has passed through. I think with a lot of those things, the killer app within them is the ability to take them off. I hope that we're the last generation to walk around with these black glass slabs in our pockets where we get ultimately distracted and drawn into. And if we can have a layer of information and interaction and everything else on the world around us that we can, if and when we want to remove ourselves from, then I think that that's healthy. I don't know where you draw that line. I'm not sure if it needs to be drawn. I don't know if it's a problem. I mean, I know things like addiction to social media are a problem. Will we have addiction to talking to fictional characters? I'm not sure, maybe.
1: It's a fascinating topic and I agree with you. Honestly, it's one of the biggest focuses for me as the podcast host. And one of the areas that I'm most interested in is, for me, it's understanding the business applications of using the new technologies. It's optimization, it's automation. How do we start to take some of this artificial intelligence technology and make our products, processes, performance, seamless, integrated, better experiences for our customers? But there is an impact of these technologies beyond the commercial uses. There is an incredible amount of change, hopefully for the better, that's going to happen as chat, artificial intelligence, GPT, open AI, all these technologies come together and influence culture. And that wraps up this episode of the MarTech Podcast. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Ian S. Thomas, the author of What Makes Us Human. Join us again tomorrow when Ian and I continue our conversation talking about some of the ethical questions posed by artificial intelligence. If you can't wait till our next episode and you'd like to learn more about Ian, you can find a link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can contact him on Twitter where his handle is real Ian S. Thomas. That's the word real. Ian is spelled I-A-I-N-S Thomas. Or you could visit his website at iansthomas.com. Again, it's ian, i a i n, s thomas.com. Just one more link in our show notes I'd like to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while you were listening to this podcast, head over to martechpod.com where we have summaries of all of our episodes and contact information for our guests. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter and you can even send us your topic suggestions or your marketing questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. Our handle is Martechpod, M-A R T E C H P O D on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Or you can contact me directly. My handle is Benjapp, B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P. And if you haven't